What's up, everybody? You're listening to an episode of This Most Unbelievable Life. Yes! We're so glad you're listening. If you've been listening for a while, you know my voice. I'm Dr. Sherry Spiegel, and my co-host is my dear friend, Dr. Paul Fitzgerald. That's right, folks. I'm Dr. Paul Fitzgerald, and I'm happy to welcome you to Season 5 of the podcast. I'm honored to be here once again with my co-host, Dr. Sherry Spiegel, as we work to discover, along with you, our own most unbelievable lives. Thank you for listening. Yes. Good afternoon, Dr. Spiegel. Hello, Paul Fitzgerald. How are you? I'm pretty well. Dr. Spiegel? Why am I calling you Dr. Spiegel and not Sherry? You always call me Dr. Spiegel. And you know, I can't say I mind it. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, I guess I, I, guess I do. I guess I, I well, do. you go back and forth, but let's just say you're not afraid to use my title. Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Um, I guess uh, we are still in a little bit of an academic mindset. Um, I did submit my grades for the semester today, so I'm, I'm, I'm technically, quote unquote, done with at least that for a couple of months. That feels pretty uh-huh. good. Uh-huh. And I am experiencing sympathetic joy for you. I promise. Yeah, you're close. You're close. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's I'm so happy you. for you. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> that sounds like code for a lot of things. It's like I I believe you, but I have questions. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're close. You're it's, close. It, um, it's true. And I, the thing is, is I um the way I in the semester has really changed. I think we talked about this last week. Um, but one of the things that I'm finding is, um, you know. What I have left, I have 62 projects to grade. Um, And these are projects written by people, many of them who I've worked with for a year now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Um, You had them in the the class the previous semester, and now you have them for the follow-up. Exactly. Some of them I will have again in the fall, right? Right, Um, right, right. Because they're minoring in Sherry Spiegel studies. Repeat offenders. Indeed. Frequent flyers, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I think is cool is that I I really admire a lot of the work that they're doing. Um, And so I'm not finished yet, but one of the reasons that I'm not finished is that I don't want to grind it out. I really want to only look at student work when I can look at it from the perspective of uh, this is a human being that I'm rooting for. Yeah, right. And I didn't used to get that. I would just like literally just slap grades on and just be done with yeah, it. Yeah, right. Um, and that wasn't humane to me and it wasn't humane to my students. So I will probably grade until the deadline this year, the last mm. day. And that's fine because there's no reward for finishing early. No, the only reward to be had is not getting a, an email from a, an admin saying, Dr. Spiegel, do you intend to submit grades for your class this Indeed. year? Yes. <laughs> that's it, though, but you got time on that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting question because um, it it feels a little – I cannot say that I'm not guilty of the same thing. It's yeah. like I've I've seen work that a student has spent quite a lot of time on and has submitted – um for uh for evaluation Mm -hmm. you know for a final exam or something like that 
and it took me all of about 15 seconds to 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 assign the the grade to it you know and what does that mean to to do that i mean it, it feels somewhat it's like oh, well i'm doing the thing that i'm supposed to do you know um it, it's obviously spectacular work um what more needs to be needs to be said but then on the other hand it, it seems somewhat disrespectful it seems profoundly um pointless to it, to do that you know it's like did so all the time and energy that the student put into this thing was for me to look at it and say yep looks good right well, and, and sort of move on right and and that can't be that can't be my job and yeah and that's that um, can't be all that can't be all of it that can't right. be all of my job and i think that that's part of what makes the end of the term so uh icky yeah is, is that you it feels can't gross you know, it feels that. gross yeah it feels yeah gross. it does feel gross but um you know i think you know once we mo- move ourselves to a less important role like okay, yeah, so you're going to take a look at that piece of work for 15 seconds or however long, and you're going to assign it the grade. The point of the student doing the work was for the learning, not for the head pats. Right, right. Right, and I think we forget that, that the, the reason that students do work is not to get a grade, it's not even to get feedback, though that's part of the learning experience. Mm-hmm. It's the doing of the work. Yeah, and that that almost feels like a little bit of a counter argument to the, it's disrespectful to grade it in fifteen seconds. You know, um, if you're able to see that the student clearly did all the work and time and effort on it, then you know there's nothing really. It yeah, it, it, and that's why it feels icky. Yeah, you know, because like I'm doing the thing that is to be done. I mean, the student's going to turn the thing in. And, you know, I could give a, I'm assuming that like the review of it is not something that takes longer than 15 seconds. I mean, if you're getting video clips or anything like that, it may take a little bit longer um, to to do. But I mean, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do by giving it a grade. They're getting what they want out of it, which is, um, which is in a letter. Yeah. The, yeah. the earlier in the alphabet, the 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 better, you know, and maybe a number that is high in a letter that is appropriate. Yeah. Um, everybody sort of gets what they want, but it still feels a little gross. It does. It does. It feels icky. And this is one of the reasons for final projects. One of the things that I tend to do, um, you know, I tend to look at drafts and things along the way, but um, I started with the final submissions posting grades without comment and then um, posting a note that says if you would like to discuss this with me I would be happy to do so during office hours at the beginning of the next term right right right. and I hear back from a lot of students saying oh yeah I'll definitely do that and then the number of students that actually do it is usually one a semester right right and, you know, that tends to be my, the before mentioned repeat offenders. Yeah, right? who was not always the one who really could have benefited from uh, from the opportunity that that affords. Yeah. But, I mean, if we always put this, I, I should use my own, speak to my own, I usually put the disclaimer is, it's not that I did that when I was an undergrad by any means. It's like, I would have been the peace out suckers, you know, I'm happy with my B, kind of whatever kind of guy. Uh-huh. But, you know, we were talking about this. I don't know if we recorded it or not. Um, but 
you know, students looking for approval versus versus mm-hmm. feedback. And feedback is is better than you know you know when when something is 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 submitted and um is this did I do a good job? Is it is it good? You know, it's like that's just looking for for approval, which is not the business of of learning. Um, versus feedback, where it's like I'm going to open myself up to to the possibility to engage with discomfort and get some criticism, hopefully constructively, hopefully kindly offered. That's not always what I have the experience of receiving from folks at academia, to be honest. Um, but but you're you're talking about going beyond that. Yeah. But it's, it's more more than feedback. Yeah. Right? Well, so it's I like mean, what, what I would say, you know, don't ask for, you know, at least ask for feedback. Don't just look for approval. Right. Well, what's interesting is I think I think we really feel like approval is a human need. And I'm not yeah, sure yeah, yeah. that it actually is. Um, and so one of the things that I just did as you were talking, I was like, wait a minute, is approval a human need. So I think maybe last podcast, we talked a little bit about the needs versus the feelings list that I'd been getting from the Center for Nonviolent Communication. So I just went ahead and pulled up the human needs list that they have, which right. they admit is not intended necessarily to be a inclusive, you know, all purpose list. list. But it is interesting that approval is not on the list yeah to to ask for approval and i again disclaimer after every single thing i say i did not have this figured out when i was 18 or 19 but this is something that goes beyond the understanding beneficial understanding of somebody who is a student or is young i mean this is something that could be applied to anyone i think at any stage in their in their life to ask for approval implies two things, neither one of which I think are true. One of which is that there's a right way to do something. Right. You know, and the other one being that somebody has this figured out. Yeah. You know, somebody has all this figured out and you're, you're trying to fall within a, a range of, of parameters of acceptability. I don't think either one of those things are true. Right. But I don't think that it's just students, right? That yeah, yes, look yes, for what I'm approval. saying. It's like, I think like, this is for anyone. I'm thinking about how many times, like, you or I will say to the other, how'd I do, right? How'd I do? <laughs> Related to certain things, right? Like, but so within that, it looks like approval. But what's the human need that we're really trying to get at when we ask, how'd I do? Yeah, I think we know each other well enough to know that we can, sh- well, I mean, it feels good for somebody to tell you did a good job. I mean, and, th- and that's pretty unescapable, I think, for most yeah. people. It's like it, it just feels biochemically, neurologically, bi- whatever, good when people tell you that you did a good job. When yeah. people tell me, well, I, again, I should use my own personal experience. It feels good to me when mm-hmm. somebody tells me that I did a good job. And I suspect that's not, uh, there's that's true for other people as well, I, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, I that, think. That lasts about 10 minutes. Right. You well, know. Because I think the headings in terms of the needs inventory that this is going to fall under is going to be a need for connection. And so there are needs like we do need appreciation. We need affection. Right. We right. need okay. 
inclusion. We need respect. And maybe all of those things come through in approval. But like you said, approval is such a short lasting thing. Like, so there are other ways to get appreciation, affection, a sense of inclusion, a sense of respect, then approval. Approval is like the lollipop instead of the broccoli. It is. It is. It feels great for a short period of time, but there's no fiber in it. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in half an hour, you're going to crash and you're going to be exactly back where you were, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the broccoli. At least you have a couple of days. Um, and uh, it's good for you, right? Um, and some strong broccoli if you strong, can have a couple yeah, of days couple on of day, it. Yeah, strong broccoli. Um, but, um, yeah, so when... When when I when it's like at least ask for for feedback, you know I think I think approval really does shortcut a lot of the a lot of the fiber, so to speak. <laughs> That's not to say that the lollipop is good. It's it's like it's not always a we're going too far with our metaphors. It's always a choice between well, do I want a lollipop or do I want broccoli? You know, I want the lollipop. My mom wants me to eat the broccoli, and you know, I don't want the broccoli. I want the lollipop because the the lollipop feels good. Now the broccoli. Um, if attended to, right, the, the feedback, the, um, do you have any suggestions you could offer? Um, what, what did I do well? What can I do better next time? Uh, did it flow? Any thoughts about, you know, the structure of it? And is right. there anything you would add? Is there something that might have left out? Right. There's all this other kind of stuff that you can, you can do, which leads, I think, towards not just the opportunity to be able to offer what you did again, um, but also leads to the potential for more mm-hmm. lollipops later on, right. <laughs> right? If I if I if I become accustomed to honing a skill set that is a good one, that that is one that people enjoy, the one that people find value in, the chances of getting having the opportunities to get more lollipops later actually goes up. And um, I will, and so it's like the more broccoli I ask for, the more lollipops I'm going to get if I consider the broccoli. Right. right. Well, and I think the other part of that is you will need, you will crave fewer lollipops if they're not the only thing you're subsiding on, right? Like, yeah, right. If right. you're, or that's not the right word. What's the word I'm looking for there? If the only thing you're surviving on is lollipops, you're going to need a whole lot of lollipops. You need a lot of lollipops right. and you're going to, and you're going to find them wherever you can, no matter how much that speaks to your heart's desires or your soul or, or whatever right yeah. but i've seen it before i mean i, I mean I, I have students right now right who just finished the semester who seem to be sort of living their living their life you know from one lollipop to the next really just kind mm-hmm. of trying to try literally testing the hypotheses of whether or not a lot of good little approvals are the equivalent of um, a solid foundation upon which to build an educational experience. And I think a lot of times they find the answer is no. Right. And um, we, we know exactly, we know exactly how many, what, what the, this really has gone too far. The lollipop to broccoli ratio <laughs> that students live on really is, you know, how much have you retained, you know, from one semester to the next of the, of the, of the classes you took previously, the prerequisite to this, how often, you know, I teach biology, right? So in, in bio 102, do I have students who 
you know, remember virtually nothing mm-hmm. of the foundation of biology 101. And um, I'm, and that is certainly not me saying that the students who go out of my bio 101 are any better off. And I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. Right. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm doing such a great job or anything of, of, re- of reconciling that either. But um, clearly, this was a situation in the past semester where it was all lollipops and not a lot of broccoli. And that's not to throw the faculty person under the bus or the teacher. It's just like... Well, you know, so if I the think, objective is to get an A and the objective is to get 10 out of 10, then you do what you have to do in order to do that because you get what you measure. Right. Well, the thing is, is does the student need the content of Bio 101 or do they need the ability to teach themselves the content of Bio 101? That's because good I was yeah. really struck by the fact that when I went and observed your lab earlier this semester, um, I had not recently taken Bio 101. Do you know when I took Bio 101? 1981. Uh, no. That would make you 62? <laughs> um, 2002. I've never taken Bio 101. What? There's plenty of amazing... Yeah, I think, gonna, I, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to audit by... the class in the fall. <laughs> I think um, faculty audit for free, right? Yeah, that's right. Um but but I did not feel lost in your bio 102 class because I've learned enough to learn how to learn in a science class. Um if there are students listening, their ears may have just perked up. They're going to say, "Ooh, what?" and they're going to get their pens and their paper and they want to write them down. Mhm. Like what? Like what? Um, so there's certain things that are true about what scientific method is all about. Experiments look the same. The fun thing is that you're talking about this and not me. I love that. Go, yeah, go on. Go on. I'm going to explain biology to you, yeah. Paul Fitzgerald. I'll take you crack in English here in a second. Okay, cool. Yeah. You can explain rhetoric in a minute. Um, but yeah, so certain things like, and and part of this is because of my own disciplinary knowledge too um i understand what experiment design looks like mm-hmm. right I yeah understand. right in a way that i never did when i was actually in chemistry 101 at virginia tech so right. i did not right. take bio because i took chemistry um awesome yeah and so awesome. but like so what i understood as a chemistry student was that i needed to produce lab reports so i could get a grade that is not what it means to learn in chemistry. That's what I did too. I mean, it's like, right? yeah, you know, that's what I did. Yeah. But um, but going into your classroom where I don't need a grade and my only purpose for being there is to be curious about what you're offering. I'm thinking in that space totally different from most students. Mm-hmm. And so part of my question really is like, well, how do we how do we teach students to bring that kind of curiosity to the classroom? And I don't know if we can, but to answer your original question, what it's I understand what science is. I understand that what what's going on in that classroom is about scientific method and that there are. You know, there are textbooks and encyclopedias where I can look up information 
that I'm going to need to put together the building blocks right, to right. answer the questions that you're throwing at them. If yeah. you know if you know the component parts, you can do the rest. Yeah, and the you know, and I I, I sort of I, I desperately am trying to avoid this this podcast being like we're just going to like bash grading for an hour because we easily could um well grading just bashed me for an hour yeah right so why not return the favor (laughs) why not return the favor um you know grading has a place to land i mean and when and and students know that it's like when when transferring from a community college to four-year when looking at you know requirements who's most likely to get into whatever college or whatever it is you know that gpa has primacy over just about anything else and that comes down to the grade you get and that is offered by the professor or the teacher um as a critique of my work right um when it's like coming in with curiosity and and um a a mind towards learning and getting constructive feedback on my learning process and learning how to to um, engage with material in a, in a curious way that, you know, impacts me in a meaningful way. None of that lands anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's dangerously close to the, to the fleeting uh, personal growth, you know, uh, category of, of why take a class um, for, for exposure to new ideas and things. It doesn't land anywhere, yeah. you know, so trying to, trying to argue with this dude, well, don't pay attention to your, to the scores I give on things or whatever. Don't pay attention to that. Just pay attention to how you're engaging with the material and whether you with curiosity. It doesn't really land anywhere. That's, um, that's, that seems tangible. Mm-hmm. It seems tangible. So how does one who finds the extraordinary value in that relay that to um, a, a student or anyone who's trying to learn anything, right? We are talking about students a lot here, but you know, this all of this applies to some, to, to anyone mm-hmm. in any aspect of their lives. Because um, what we're talking about doing is like really, like literally changing the way that we, that we look critically at um, the activities that we're engaged in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the question that I wrestle with whenever I start thinking about this, like, in, and you hinted on this, can creativity and canned curiosity be taught? Right. That's, I think that's the question. Um, I think that there are a lot of people out there who do work on curiosity and creativity. And probably I have half a dozen books on this subject right to my right, right? Lots of people have done work that demonstrates that you can foster creativity and you can foster curiosity. But the people that are going to go pick up a book at their local bookstore about curiosity or about creativity, those are already people who are open to the ideas of curiosity and creativity and who are already operating on a hunch, a kind of hypothesis that these things are going to be useful. But um, I think the educational system, uh, I think the meritocracy that we live within, um, we don't have a lot of institutions or social constructs 
that reward curiosity and creativity. And so why would someone choose that life? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think about now, like if, if I was who I am right now, 50 college professor, seen and taught a lot of kids, a lot of things, didn't teach a lot of kids, a lot of things, you know, some remember, some don't, some love my class, some hate my class, check out, rate my professor, right? We're easy to find as everyone is. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy, you know, if I could go back and do like high school or college over again, it would be so much easier. It would be so much less stressful. It would be so much more enriching, enriching and fulfilling. It would be, I would, you know, it would be such a different experience than it, than it was. Not that it was a bad one, right? I had, you know, I had great experiences in college. Obviously it worked out for me, you know, um, but it's like, I missed out on so many opportunities to learn really interesting things just because. And that's usually where you get a little self, self-defeating self or self-flagellating because it was an idiot, because it wasn't thinking straight at the time, because I my priorities were all over the place. Um, there's something to be said for being 19, right? Uh, and um, all, all of one's focus isn't necessarily in the books in front of them. And, you know, there, there's something to be said for being 50. You know, it's like, I just want a nice dinner and a little TV and get a good night's sleep. So it's like life is a lot more boring now than it was then for that's for sure. But that's because I think I've made it that way. And um, for, for good reasons. The, my approach is different now. And I know that if I was who I am now, going back and taking, you know, college classes over again, they would be a lot easier and I would get a lot more out of them. Not because I learned a new technique on how to divide fractions. Not because, you know, I'm better at hypothesizing than I was before. Not because, um, well, maybe this is a little bit is because, that was going to say not because I am have a better ability to focus from a 20-year mindfulness practice. But that might actually be true. It might be because yeah. I do have a good ability to focus because of a 20-year mindfulness practice. Um, I can read for hours and, and maintain attention because I practice on the cushion every day, you know, paying attention to what's going on around me with, with you know, unfleeting attention, or at least I try to. My brain sometimes has other thoughts or just thoughts in general. But um, just my ability to bring, maybe I don't know everything, huh? Uh-huh. To it changes things. And um, that's when I say college would be a lot easier or definitely a lot different. And I would get a lot more out of it if I was not then who I am now. Mm -hmm. Um, None of those have anything to do with the skill set that would be taught analytically in, in a, in, in the time between the time I was born and the time that I was 18. Right. I'm not a better multiplier now than I was before. I'm not a better, you know, economist than I was. So, so I have learned things. I have figured a couple of things out that would make it easier, but none of them are the things that shake out in a linear way to a grade I got in something. Right. You know? Yeah. You know what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? And it, um, I was talking to a mentor of mine uh, last week, my other poll. Um, right, right. And, um, you know, uh, Paul has known me since 2000. We were trying to figure this out. I think he's known me since 2002. Um, so just about 20 years. Yeah, right. And he knew, he first met a very different version of me. 
And I think he's seen me kind of, uh, you know, grow from like an 18 year old kid and whatever. Um, and you know, he was acknowledging the growth that he had seen in me. Um, I think a lot of it was just the lack of anxiety that he now sees in me, which is, you know, a big change. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, one of the things he said was like, I hate to say it, but I think it's the experience. Like you, like I just needed time on this earth. Um, yeah. Right. And so that's the hard thing is that like, um, you know, sometimes I think about what we do in our classrooms and we put all this pressure, um, like we want to see the change tomorrow and sometimes you don't know what impact you're going to have on people 15 years down the road. Like, um, there are things that Paul Heilecker said to me when I was still an undergraduate at Virginia tech that are just starting to sink in. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Long gestational period on some of these. Exactly. Yeah. So and seeds so, that were planted, you know. But I think one of the good things is like, oh, gosh, I'm so glad I have a good memory. Um, because I think part of being, you mm-hmm. know, a, a good learner is being open to collecting random things that you don't know how you're going to use. Yeah. But you're going to pack them away, right? Like the, the weird skill sets that I've collected over the years that show up and become very useful um, you know, like every now and then the fact that I have really good auto AutoCAD skills come up and they're useful. Do you? I do. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you need anything, gra- you know, drafted out for you. Oh, that's gotcha. cool. That's um, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, um, I think just being open to the idea that like, just because you can't see the use of something doesn't mean it's not valuable. Tuck this away for later. Yeah. Need it. Sounds good. How does one make the decision, or if one does, on what to keep and what to sort of let go of? Dumb I, don't luck. If, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if it can be made. I yeah. Do you think like I mean, when this pandemic started, like how lucky were you? we that you just happen to have a bunch of random audio equipment yeah i know i know so it's like i might use this one day and i just kind of chalked it up to i have a funny relationship with time you know um it already happened we just haven't had the convenience of of it happening yet i don't know you know yeah um just kind of go with not my brain you know just like yeah feels like i feels like something i should keep might be handy one of these days you know which leads to a whole other conversation that we might be about to have pretty soon um uh so what's to be done because i think you're absolutely right and and i tried to sort of do an end around on this and not actually come out and say it when i was given my lit my last sort of spiel on here that something to, there is something to be said for just experience time on earth mm-hmm. just how, how much time and you know you see this with um, with hockey players or more many sport ball players, they're good not because they are the fastest or they're not good because they have the fat, biggest shot or they're not good because, you know, they have the quickest reflexes. Those good because they've been playing the game for 15 years uh-huh. and they figured a couple of things out. It's the these other things. 
um, that get figured out that don't, and this is, this is, I guess, right down the same pipeline I was going before. It's not how fast you are in your skates. It's not how, how hard your, your, your shot is. It's not any, it's like, it's, you got 15 years that of, of playing hockey and there's no, there's, there's a wisdom that comes with that, that you can't avoid or get around that you're a better player because of it you can see how this is going to play out right um, before it happens and it doesn't have to be the fastest or the hardest or the biggest or the baddest it's like i can see how this is going to go right um yeah it's just the opportunities to navigate through the space right like having had more opportunities you know one of the things i did this semester for better or worse is i gave my students um I did an assignment along with my students and I shared with them an incomplete draft. And I had this one student who was just really bothered by the fact that his work was not up to my standard, right? Like he was just like, yours is just so much better than mine. And he was just so bothered by it. I wonder why that is. And it's just like, and I get it, right? Like, because if you're in a math class... Like, your teacher's work is going to look similar to yours, right? Uh When they're done, it's not, you're not going to be able to, they they will get there with a better ease, but the work will look the same. So, you know, in a writing class, it looks a little different. But um, at the end of the day, like, I wanted to say, friend, you want my work to look better than yours. Because otherwise, why would you trust me? Yeah. Right? Right. What if it didn't? The consequences yeah. of that. Would, then would why would you the, listen would to bring me? Civilization to a halt, you know. If right, was... like this. The whole idea here is that I have something to offer you that you yeah. don't already have. Yeah, Jesus, better. Would be. you like to know about it? Yeah, right. Um, right, right but, right. and I think that this is one of the reasons that I'm thinking more and more about education, uh, or as my my role in education, as much as anything else, like. Uh, you know, our connection to people who are engaged in the this most unbelievable life community. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not that I think I've figured all this stuff out. It's just there are a few things that I have some experience with. Yeah, right. That I think I could share. Yeah, this yeah. is uh, the, the, um, the, the, who was Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. I mean, there's a whole conversation about whether it really is 10,000 hours. It might be 15 for that, but only eight for this other thing. But that gets down to it, though. I mean, it, it takes time yeah. to do this stuff. And what we are, I think, we're, we're, we're good to, to remind ourselves as faculty, you know, in a community college where we have a lot of, you know, 17, 18, nine, I've had 16, 15-year-olds in my classes before. Uh-huh. Um, what do you do with that? You know, and they're trying to do something that they feel is directive in their life. You know, for a fact, they just don't have, you know, game time under their belt with this, yeah. you know, and the expectation about what they're going to produce is not going to, can, cannot expect that. And um, especially if they're not a science major taking biology class. It's like, this might be the first time they've ever taken a bio class in their life, Dr. Spiegel. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, I mean, I placed in developmental English when I was an undergrad, um, along with, with the rest of the 
<laughs> of the kids in Missouri. You know, many of the international students were placed in the standard, right? And it's like the mm-hmm. local kids were the ones that went into developmental for whatever sociological reasons that might be. But um, it's what 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 is it our job there to do? Knowing that these students don't have the the time under their belt, we they can't, the expectation can't be that they're going to be as good at it as we are. The expectation can't be that they're going to bring you know a decade of wisdom to whatever the topic or the task might actually be. Right. What is the what is the objective there to to do? And so when you start thinking about like critical thinking skills, which is all the hot button thing. A lot of people want to say, oh, we want to teach critical thinking. You know, we want to teach critical thinking skills. They need to be able to leverage critical thinking and bring that to bear on a situation. Um, Some red flags start to go up with me on whether or not that really is the right way to to go. Critical thinking. They're 17. They had a burrito for breakfast and you wanted to use critical think. I mean, not that I haven't done the same thing like within the last week, but it's like it... If, if critical thinking was something that could be leveraged by your average, you know, new to college undergraduate student, would they, they, can't, they can't be true. They, they'd already do it. Well, you know, it's, it's like critical thinking. It's like, I don't even know what it is. Well, so that's the thing, right? And you and I have talked about this a lot. And I think like, oh, I feel like this is going to be the podcast where we introduce our alternative <laughs> phrase right. uh, to critical thinking. We're getting close. We have but one. before we get there, you know, my impulse is always to define what something is. Like if we're going to talk about yeah, critical right. thinking, the first thing we have to do is say, okay, well, you know, this what is, is it? basic stasis theory. Yeah, what, what is it? Is it? Um, and so one of the books that really, and gosh, this is like the Paul Heilecker conversation. One of the books that really framed how I come to my discipline and how I come to teaching in general, uh, is a book called, um, Keywords in Composition Studies, um, which happens to have been edited by Paul Heilecker. Um, And, um, so they have in this book a chapter on critical thinking that i adore um in particular i adore the first paragraph of this chapter which was written by um lisa hill mm. and the first sentence just says critical thinking is supposed to be good for you right right it's supposed to be the broccoli yeah right it is it's supposed to be the right? broccoli right? and then she goes on and she says students are exhorted to learn and to practice it Teachers are admonished to teach it. Teachers know they should teach it. And it is advocated as an act, behavior, and an attitude that teachers ought to practice themselves in order to judge and evaluate uh, what and how they do teach. All of those words, I think, are true. But still... It doesn't tell us what it is. Yeah, um, it doesn't tell us what And it so, is. you know, she goes on and she says what critical thinking is and what critical thinking is for, however, are as varied and contested um, as the factions of scholars that have been trying to define them. So it's just, it's this buzzword that we throw around all the time. Everyone knows that it's supposed to be the thing that we do. We talk about it like it's the holy grail. Right. But no one knows what the hell it is. Right, right. Um, and so much so that, I mean, we've had a, a number of conversations about this and critical thinking and its role in 
oh, if I can get, I feel like the pedantic bug coming on, like what it means in pedagogy and, you know, how to be good teachers, you know, teaching, how do you teach critical thinking and all this other kind of stuff. All the while feeling like I'm, I'm sort of, this is why my this is where my imposter syndrome comes from. Is like all the all the time these conversations about how we all should be doing this and whether or not we're doing it effectively are going on. I'm sort of sitting in my chair thinking, yeah, I don't know what that is. Can somebody please define this for me? And I feel like an idiot, right? Because it's like I have no idea what this is. Like what what even are you talking about here? Um, but it it also seems like, and you know, you're absolutely right, and the author is absolutely right. You know, when when I read that, it's like that tells us what it's for and what its promise could be. Yeah. But it it still doesn't really get at what it what it actually is or what it looks like when it when it's happening or what it what different outcomes could it could produce, because as much of a holy grail as it must be, um, if critical thinking was actually really happening, it seems like the world would be a better place. Um, than it is mm-hmm. um, and I have examples that I could pull from that are too numerous to count which are counter examples to clearly critical thinking whatever the promise of it is it is not being realized and therefore we should try even harder to define it and teach it and sort of pushing but then you know I kind of come back you know to the stressed out student who's not sleeping who's you know has panic attacks anxiety attacks um, still not doing well on stuff frozen solid unable to turn things in because of the sheer and shocking herculean uh-huh. anxiety that that comes come comes with it and you know to to the poor student i i oftentimes really just say if if you know think thinking about things and thinking you knew what you were doing and thinking critically got you into this mess think more thinking is not going to get you out no yeah you, know, you, can, you can't think your way out of this Right. Mess you well, got yourself into. A thought is not going to suddenly be helpful after, <laughs> you know, being being prodded on with the crushing anxiety that it offers you every damn day. Right. Well, and, you know, this is part of, like, where I think, you know, and how often on, on this podcast do I even say, I think, well, I think, I'd like to say that I think, um, but overthinking um is a very anxiety-driven coping mechanism that I think a lot of people in today's American society exhibit. Um, They have learned to be overthinkers, to survive various different experiences in their upbringing. Um, And I think the fact that so many, um, you know, so many students, so many working professionals hit burnout and like all this stuff, like there is a relationship, I think, between overthinking and burnout and that paralysis of the student that you're talking about. All of that is mm-hmm. related. Um, and so when we are literally killing ourselves with our own thoughts. Yeah, right. Literally. The solution is not yeah. think more. More thoughts, right. Right. right um, yeah. And so this is why I think, and I don't even know how we got to this uh, the other day when we were talking. I hope we recorded it, but I'm not sure we did. Um, but we started talking about what if we taught, what if we explored, what if we wanted to be, I guess, critical beings 
over critical thinkers. Yeah, we went through a couple of iterations of what the, because it's like critical thinking is not really it. You know, that's not what we're really trying to go for, you know, um, yeah. for all the reasons we just sort of sort of went through. Um, and we, we did settle on, on critical being. Um, and I was, was thinking about this um, critical being versus critical thinking a couple of days ago when I was talking, believe it or not, to a student um, <laughs> whom we both know, whom, whom we both know huh. uh, believe it or not. And um, the, the phrase overthinking really came up a lot, right, from, from the, the student, you know. Um, I think I know which one it was. But yeah, yeah. It, but, you know, it, it could have been a couple, though, you know. Yes, um, and I'll just let the cat out of the bag. And she, right, um, was, um, which is neither here nor there, right? But she was, um, kept saying she's overthinking. I'm overthinking this. You know, why do I keep overthinking this? And it's like, why can't I just answer the question? Because I'm overthinking it. And I I just kind of did the the poll. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a second. You yeah. know, when, when you say overthinking, what do you mean? And what that conversation ultimately sort of went to is, I don't think we're overthinking. I mean, we're not doing something. We're not, we don't have a stick sort of prodding the brain along, you know, to come up with even more junk that we can sort of consider. I don't think we're overthinking. I think we're over attending mm. to the idea of the brain coming up with a solution. Yeah. You know, it's like in, in the, I think the analogy that I made is like, imagine that you're in a room with a couple of people in it and you're trying to solve a problem and there's one big obnoxious person who just dominates the conversation and for some reason you really just keep deferring to that big obnoxious person that is completely off the wall they're not offering anything meaningful but because they're kind of a bully they keep demanding that you listen and you know you, you don't feel like you have any choice but to but to pay attention and give them the floor more often than you really really should be doing so there's mm -hmm. not equality here so i mean this is our you know, with our, our community rules, you know, that, that we have, you know, um, everybody gets voice, you know, we all have, have a voice here um, in this in this space. That's not being done a lot of times with a lot of people, you know, the voice and of, of the brain is giving far more attending, uh, uh, an attending deference mm -hmm. than maybe it, it could. So it's, I don't think you're overthinking. I think you're under. Under. Being. Fill in, fill in the blank under under being, yeah. you know, with with other other sources of information. So, I, and that's what got us like. Maybe it's not critical thinking that we need to do. We're thinking enough, you know. Yeah, well, and and part of it is paying attention to what does the thinking pattern look like, and once the thinking hits a point where you can call it a pattern, yeah. This is not leading to a solution or a productive outcome. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Being able to recognize that. Yeah. yeah. That like I know I have uh, a tendency for rumination, uh, which I've worked on quite a bit. Um, and what I know is that rumination is comforting and destructive. Yeah. And so once I, like, you know... A couple weeks ago, you know, we pre we were preparing for a couple of talks that you and I had, one that I had, mm -hmm. one that we had, and I found myself overthinking it, right? Like, I was, I was giving a lot of space uh, for the 
uh, part of my brain that wanted to present me with a lot of, well, wait, (laughs) right? And it really is like, um, if you think about the kinds of people that really get under your skin in conversation, um, I like to imagine that the voices that pop up in my head are really like that person, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, like, one of the things that I most hate in the world is a mansplainer who will start with, well, actually, sharing. Yeah, right. right? So if I can get to a place where I can make fun of my <laughs> kind of gentle fun with myself where i'm like i'm literally well actuallying myself like well yeah, actually right. sherry you could screw this up drastically yeah, unless right, you right. well actually somebody could you know um but once i notice like okay all i'm doing is catastrophizing i'm not actually getting any new input on the project right right um what is the actual need that I think I'm trying to meet through the circle and what else could meet that need? Sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. it's so often like, um, yeah. So I think the problem with critical thinking is that it only allows thinking as a strategy and critical being Allows thinking as a strategy, but also yeah. allows other things. Yeah. So it's not that good ideas have not come out of thinking about things. Yes. You know, um, there's a time and a place for that. And it's it's daily, I would say. You know, it's often, you know. Um, and uh, why would we... It, it almost feels like by, by saying, okay, we're going to do critical thinking... Uh, to solve this problem. So shut everything off, get no more information from anything else, only rely on your brain to do this. We will only accept answers in responses that sound and look like they come from a neurological expectation here. Um, and now do your best. Mm-hmm. And um, is that a good thing? Because it's like when I put it that way, it seems like we're not actually helping folks come up with curious, novel, innovative ways to answer questions. We're limiting. Right. We're, we're saying, we're okay, so we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to have a race here with these cars and we're going to, whoever goes the fastest and gets across the finish line first wins. And so we're going to go around and we're going to puncture all your tires and we're going to screw up your steering and we're going to, you know, give you a heater core that overheats and we're going to take out your fan belt. And, we're, and it's like, why, if, if the objective is to get over the finish line, First, if we're, if we're trying to do something, we're actually trying to produce something of value where we're trying to become the best version of ourselves we can be, where we're going to try to gain some wisdom, some experience, some whatever. Why come up? Why, why come at this with the perspective of limiting yeah. sources of information and inputs and limiting how we're synthesizing the information? Right. By saying, but we can only do it yours in your brain. You can't do it with anything else. Right. Why Why, why would you do it? Well, yeah. You know, so, I, I say, why would you do that? It's like, why have I done that for the last 30 years? So right. it's like, I'm the first one under the bus. Believe me, you know, but yeah. you know, I was a product of that as were you. Right. You know. Right. But I mean, that's, that's the thing to question, right? Like, why are we treating ourselves, our learners, you know, each other? as prisoners of war 
Yeah. Because that's what that, you know, like so much of like this pattern of, you know, deny them access to information. Yeah. uh, Lock them in a room. No food or beverage. Right. Like these things. Like if you think about if we're going to offer a standardized test, the conditions in which we offer a standardized test resemble more closely a prison experiment. Yeah, right, right. Then no talking. No a talking. learning opportunity. Yeah. No right? talking. Yeah. yeah, like no 40. talking. Um, Number two, lead pencil. Yep, that's it. Sharpened already because Sharpened. you don't want to waste time. And... No. Yeah. So we treat learning like a standard, like a like a prison situation. Um, and, you know, it evokes all these images of, like, the exact opposite of curiosity and creativity, right? Like, yeah, right. Um, and then you compare that to how we treat children in, in the earliest days of their lives yeah, when right, they can't right. actually benefit from it as much, right? Like, we have all these bright colors in front of babies before their eyes are necessarily yeah, even right, perceiving them. Right. right. right? Um, but then as soon as they're able <laughs> able to perceive color and enjoy that, we get them in the stark world of black text on white yeah, paper. Yeah, black text on white paper. Yep. Mm-hmm. Goodness it's- me. Um, so, yeah, here's a, here's a, here's a question. Uh, I would love to get an answer to it, kind student. But, oh, no, you can only use your brain. You know, you can't only use your brain. What's the alternative? So, I mean, we've talked a little bit about these other sources of information. And it's kind of interesting because when we talk about critical thinking, you know, and, and questions arise, as I think is appropriate, on what critical thinking really is, a lot of folks... I think really take issue with the critical part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what do you mean by critical thinking? And, you know, and I would also say we can question the second word in that too. What do you mean by thinking? Yeah. Like when, when you're talking about critical thinking, it's like, what is, what is this thinking that you're talking about? Yeah. Well, and I have a hard time with the word critical, even as we've discussed. Yeah, I have a hard time with both critical and thinking. <laughs> yeah. Words are just not what they could be. No, um, they're not. You know, I have a hard time with critical because of my own experiences with, um, you know, critical pedagogy and uh, critical theory, a little less so critical pedagogy, I guess, but critical theory for sure. Um, And so, you know, I've probably talked about this on the podcast before. You know, I was very deeply influenced by having a class with another mentor of mine on productive theory. So I like to think of... um, I, I like the critical adjective um, not so much uh, when it's tied to the idea of theory, but I like productive a lot more. But I don't want to tie productive necessarily uh, to the idea of being or even to thinking necessarily. Uh, productive thinking. Um, I like generative yeah, I was going to say productive works well, like in assembly line situations. Like, yes. I'm, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. But Right. But I don't want to be more productive. Generative, however. Gen- yeah, generative. Um, come up with something new. 
Yeah. You know, um, what's a problem that you see that, and what's your solution to it? Um, what do you think is the most valuable thing that you can offer to the world right now? Um, and how do you, and how can you leverage that? Yeah. Um, for yourself and other, I mean, there's, 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 uh, you know, so many different ways this can sort of be approached on how to get out of that brain focused, thinking focused kind of thing with the thinking part of it. You know, I think even by using the word thinking after critical thinking is a shortcut yeah. um, that bypasses a lot of stuff. Are you talking about like attention? Like you're going to direct your attention towards a problem. You're going to try to come up with some analytical techniques that you might have learned, like carry the two or division to systematize this problem in a way that suddenly it makes sense. Right. You're going to you're going to get a piece of paper out and do like a SWOT or like a cost benefit situation where you're going to try to like quantify a a decision you're trying to make using like neurological stuff. Right. So um, I'm, I'm not always. I don't have a problem taking this tree of critical thinking as taking an axe to the whole damn thing, you know, and say in um, it, it, the, the hard part is that it has become such a, a buzzword that taking a swing at it now constitutes, you know, um, assault. Yeah. <laughs> Full on assault, right? On a right. well accepted, very safe and comfortable conversation that a lot of people can stand up and shake their fists at in, in faculty meetings. Um, this is iconoclastic conversation. You know, it's like I think critical thinking is just total BS as a concept from top to bottom. And it's not to say that, you know, good hasn't come out of it as a society. I mean, the Wright brothers fly airplanes with critical thinking, you know, I mean, I mean, clearly, you know, Elon Musk's you know, puts people in space stations with critical thinking. But well, it's other stuff too. I mean, that's that's part of the solutions. It's not all of it though. But let's, I mean, let's go back to the Wright brothers. Was it critical thinking that got there, them there? Or was it curiosity? It was cur- yeah, I mean, curiosity got them to Kitty Hawk. It got them to think it could be done. It got them to, curiosity got them to, um, maybe we should do this with the wing instead. It, right. Courage yeah. got them up on top of this hill and strapped into this thing that said, okay, Give me a push, right? That's not critical thinking. Critical thinking would say, what the hell are you doing? You right. Know, this is ridiculous. You're going to get yourself killed. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, part <laughs> of what you're talking about is, like, they have to be a little bit risk comfortable, right? Like, yeah, yeah. they they have to be creative. Um, they have to be able to imagine a world that doesn't exist. Um. They have to be able to collaborate. Yeah. And, you know, using other sources of information, right, as, as a way to guide one's um, activities or one's endeavor. Um, yeah. I, I'm not even saying guiding one's thinking. I'm saying guiding, guiding one's endeavor. You're going to test fly this prototype airplane that has never been used, that you built in a barn down on the bottom of the hill. And it's like, okay. Am I likely to survive this? And if the answer, and you don't think about that answer, you feel that answer. It's like, no, I think I'm going to die. If 
<laughs> if I try this with this machine in its current form. I'm going to use my brain to go through some of the math one or two more times. I might go through and check my calculations a little bit. I might tweak this one thing over here. Okay, I've done all I can. Do I feel like I'm going to die? No, I've done my, you know, do I feel like I'm going to survive? You know, um, it, it brings other sources of information. It's like, am I still scared shitless that I'm not going to survive once I do this thing? You know, brain, thanks for the work you've done. But there's another part of me that thinks we need to go over things a couple more times um, before I even give this a shot. Um, and, and I mean, other, other things besides the brain can be informative. Right. Yeah. I mean, the other things give, besides what we consider analytical thought can be informative. Right. And we give the brain a lot of power um, because it tells us to. Yeah. We're very deferential to it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the first lie it told you. Yeah. That's the first lie it ever, it ever told you. Exactly. You were, Was that I'm in charge. <laughs> that it's in charge. Yeah. And it, right. it knows what's best. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it teaches us not to trust our feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly not to listen to our bodies. Lies. Yeah, right, right, right. Because, you know, anything that your body feels that is uncomfortable is weakness. Yeah. That's the American way right there. Anything your body right. feels that is uncomfortable is weakness. Right. Um, and this is, like, it's such an interesting thing about humans because we think that we're so logical and we think that thinking is king um notice i said king and not queen yeah right, right? Yeah, because it's king hello yeah. patriarchy yeah yeah um and it's so ridiculous because a lot of the things that are my favorite things in the world uh are the best decisions that i've ever made were totally not logical and were not based on you know a no, cost benefit analysis um you know, I've been married for almost 16 years, mm -hmm. um, and I married a guy that I was dating when I was 17. Statistically speaking, that was a really bad decision. Well, just the math on it is kind of, yeah. Right? How many people marry the person that they were dating their senior year of high school? My parents did, but that yeah. was 1950. Right. It's a slightly different. Yeah. So, and... Like, how many marriages even last? And how many people are not going to get vaccinated because they don't? Try, I mean, so it's like clearly thinking is not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all, all is cracked up to be. You yeah. Know. Um. But yeah, I mean, and I, and I, uh, it all just keeps coming back to me for, to the same thing. It's like if the brain was so great at what it did and what it does, with the primacy that we put on it in Western culture, if that really was true, that it was as good as we give it credit for the world would be a much better place and it is not it so was. clearly it must not know all the answers to everything so um what's the what do we so we kind of sell this narrative right that people that are emotional are driven by emotional like that's weakness that's and it's not valued in our culture yeah. right and of course that is most often thrust upon oh women thank women, you again yeah. patriarchy right um mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. trusting feelings listening to ourselves like that's weak and emotional and yet 
part of what we're saying in this conversation is that like that's good information, right? What comes from our bodies. Yeah. So how can how can it be that we've gotten along for so long to where feelings are emotional and like things to be hidden and thinking is a thing to broadcast and to showcase. Did we? Did we get along? Did we get along for that long? Well, go on. I t- <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I don't see us getting on particularly well. You know, I mean, as a as a as a as a species on this planet. True, but know, it's the narrative we keep selling. Well, we're surviving. You know, at great cost of literally everything else on this earth. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're living longer. It was, uh, let me go back. Some of us are living longer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the average lifespan has been increasing for a long time because of sanitation and medical intervention and all this other kind of stuff. And that's great. Don't get me wrong, right? Um, but I got this 18-year-old kid who can't sleep who's having anxiety attacks because they're afraid they're not going to get a 4.0. You know, I got, you know, who, you know, the suicide rate in, in college students is sky high. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, the, the depressing statistics can go on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't, I just keep, and I don't think that the way out is just more thinking about stuff. I think some feeling about stuff needs to, needs to be encountered a little bit. And we're not saying, again, thinking bad, feeling good. But I don't, I don't think that the way forward is always okay everybody defer to what what my my thoughts are let's maybe kindly ask thinking to maybe have a seat for a minute and listen to what other things might have to say and rather than let our decisions be um dictated by our thoughts let our thoughts possibly maybe start thinking about listening to some other sources of information to guide it Uh in itself because i mean because, I mean, this is what got us into this mess uh, of Western culture a little bit with what we've been talking about. And it's like, you know, I'm feeling really uncomfortable things in my body, like I'm storing some trauma here that I might need to address. Or um, I really don't feel good about what is happening over here. And, you know, I feel like just a lot of anger comes up whenever whenever this situation arises. Um, and thinking might swoops in and says, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. Just as you were, right. Just don't pay any attention to that. And, you know, just keep going, kind of plugging away as it was. And, you know, we say, hear that body pipe down, hear that emotions, such a trap, you know, thinking is in charge and it's Uh going to take over. And, um, again, look where that gets us, look where that gets us. And, um, it, it, that can't be that can't be the the way you know so again it's not shutting off thinking it's let's get some balance here and listen to other perspectives and maybe something might be learned you might have to change a couple of things where you're doing and i'm not going to say that's going to be easy your productivity might actually go down a little bit Mm -hmm. um you might it might take you an extra semester to get that much sought after college degree um it might um, not look like it's going to solve every one of your problems, but it certainly might do something beneficial. Yeah. You know, this conversation, as we're recording it now, all of a sudden, I am thinking about an episode that I feel like we recorded 
almost a year ago, probably pretty close. Yeah. We recorded this episode about the rates of things. Yeah, the rates of Remember things. Remember that episode? Yeah. And what I think is so fascinating about that episode is in it, we were talking about how the body receives and processes things mm-hmm. and where we start as people. Um, yeah. And I remember you talking about, you know, the body seems to be the first to know. Yeah, yeah, right. And I talked about my brain being the first to know and that who would ever lead with their heart? Yeah. And this conversation to me shows how much my own understanding of that concept has evolved, I guess, Mm -hmm. because it's not that I, it's not that I, consciously choose i'm gonna start in the brain um it's it's where i've practiced putting my attention mm-hmm. um it's learned difference right and so what i like about the idea of critical being over critical thinking is that it allows us to come to our our living our life on this planet um, as something that we want to triangulate the data on. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, okay, there's the situation. All right. Yeah. That's a tricky spot to put yourself into, you know, when you think about it, because it's like, at least a brain lies to you and tells you that it knows what's going on and what's best. You know, the alternative is that, Nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> Nobody knows what's what's best. So you're just going to be stuck in this position of having to figure it out. Um, to that, I would say, yeah, isn't that true, though? It is. Isn't that true? You know, if if that's the step you take, now you are seeing things as they are. Right? So <laughs> there's comfort in thinking because it, like, it tells you that it knows what's happening. And it's like, it's a liar. It has no idea. You know, it's, just, it's doing the best with what it what it has just like anything else you know sometimes it gets it right sometimes it gets it wrong you know but it keeps telling you that it's got it figured out it's like no well right it 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 might play a part in a solution but don't let it tell you that it knows what's happening here right well i mean i think that that's one of the reasons that we we check our work right like yeah right uh it's why we have community yeah right are you seeing this does yeah. this look like yeah, this yeah, to yeah, you? Yeah. Like that's we check in with each other. What do, you, what do you think about that? Right? Like it feels like this is true. My brain is telling me this. My body feels all wigged out. What do you see? Yeah, what do you see? Cause seeing is 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 all um places to to observe from, right? You can when you, when you see it, it's like you know what do I what do I see emotionally what do I see physically what do I see thinky wise what do I see big picture wise you know I mean you know what do I what do I see is going on here you, I mean that just that that approach brings in all sorts of all sorts of avenues of um, of observation that yeah. is not as limiting so um, critical being so that that's really this it's this it's this approach to seeing the way things unfold in front of us with all all ears open or in in no a priori deference 
to one thing versus another. It's we're going to explore these things from all avenues. Yeah. I think it means all ways of knowing on deck. On deck, all hands. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And boy, who knows what you're going to get um, when, when, when that's the task. So uh, I look forward to hearing how it unfolds in our students. And in ourselves. And in ourselves. Well stated. Huh. Indeed. Well stated. Very interesting. Yeah, very cool. So cool. I'd love to get some feedback on this one. So we'll kick this podcast out and see what people think. Um, yeah. I'm or, to hear what people say. Or maybe not just what they think. Yeah, what they feel. How does this one feel for y'all? Yeah. Where do you feel it in your body? Like, can you point to it? You know, tell us where this landed. I feel it in the tip of my nose. Yeah. Awesome. That might be sinuses. Super interesting. Yeah, we've been, we've been kicking this idea around for a little bit now. Um, and I feel like finally after... After kicking me around for a while, we're getting to the point where we're able to put some words to it. So, yeah, that's that's how things that's how things seem to emerge for us, which I think is pretty cool. It's so hard not to say that we've been thinking about it for a while because it's like we've been. I mean, because we haven't. It's like we've been feeling our way through this. Yeah, I think that a that's what bit, you know. And it's like, but it's like our words are driving this. It's like we keep saying the word thinking all the time. You know, pay attention. You know, it's like if you couldn't say the word thinking, what would you use instead? Well, that's it. That's interesting because um, in Lent, I tried to give up the word need because it just I started feeling like the word need wasn't connecting with the issue. Right. 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 Um, right, right. So I think that it would be an interesting exercise to operate uh, and plan instruction and all the other things that we do, banishing the word thinking. Yeah, that'd be cool. And if nothing, you know, and, and I think, there we go. And I get the, wow, it's hard. Um, I get the suspicion that some students might find it difficult as I am to, to banish that word. But I think that word is used more often than it is true. And more often than it is best. And it's and, not, it may not be generative and when it's you, being used. Yeah. And you can do the dumbest shit and get out of it by saying, well, I thought, oh, okay. Well, you thought about it. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Right? Um, or somebody does elevated. something that's yeah, clearly that's misguided and you ask them, what were you thinking? Obviously, yeah, obviously they no, were not. Obviously, and I ask you no. this all the time. Like, what do you think? I'll ask you that all the time. I mean, it is rolls off the What do you think about blah, 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 blah. It's yeah. like, well, I think blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Well, I think blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, I would love it if some <sighs> of our listeners decided to take the no thinking challenge. <laughs> oh, boy. Ten days, right? Ten, Ten days, days. A week. How long? Try not to use the word think. F- Fifteen minutes, right? Yeah. That'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. It would. Very cool. Yeah, cool. Interesting conversation. Well, thanks, Paul. Thank you, Dr. Spiegel. Let's talk soon. Indeed. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com.
Paul and Sherry have a Paul podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast. Yes. Yes.